Hello everybody, my name is Craig Bennett and I'm the founder and owner of TechVisionUp and today I am getting into class 2 and hacking and this class is attack types and techniques. Now, as far as this class goes, I, um, I'm not going to really give you an actual real world example. As far as showing you stuff, this is more terminology, but it's important for you to continue watching this in case if you don't know your stuff and the reason why is I've seen where I don't know if the person didn't know what they're doing but the uh, it's something called a blindside attack and it's where you throw everything at, at a server or network and what ended up happening is it was a blindside attack towards a power plant and some local transformers blew up and if anyone was nearby that would have been killed uh, basically what ended up happening is the computers regulated how much power went through the transformers or, or a given line to make sure that the transformers didn't overheat. And when that was going well, they kind of blew up. <laughs> so that was pretty bad. And again, if anyone was nearby, they'd probably been in the hospital or dead. So as far as this goes, let's get into the disclaimer before we jump into this. Um... This is for educational purposes, so if you decide to do anything illegal to your country or another country, keep in mind I'm dealing with an international crowd, but if you're doing anything illegal, it's not on my head. And if you decide to do any of these, um, I would highly advise it, you to do it in a computer lab, like with permission or one that you made, and with some type of permission of something or um, your home network. A lot of these techniques you can use on your home network, so that's a pretty good thing of what I'm going to list today. But there's several of them that you'll be only using on a uh, company. So it's pretty important to note that you got the company's permission before you jump in. As I said on my last video, a lot of gray hackers, or gray hat hackers, they um, they are treated like black hat hackers. And um, this is a bad thing, and you don't want to be going to jail because you try to do something nice. So let's uh, let's jump on in and let's talk about the different type of attacks. There is remote attack, client side attack, blind side attack, social engineering attack, DOS uh, DOS, and this is also known as a fuzzing attack. And there is a man in the middle attack. Now, as far as what is a remote attack, well, it's kind of like it sounds. It's, uh, you're just not physically there. And there's more attacks than this, but these are the primary ones that you're going to see. And, um, the remote attack basically means, say, for example, you're at your house, you're nowhere near anything, and you're trying to attack into something in another country or wherever, I, I don't care, down the street, as long as you're not connected to the same network you're uh, doing a remote attack. Um, so, so example of this is say for Starbucks. Um, I, I don't know, uh, say local Starbucks. You go and um, you sit down there in the coffee shop, you connect to their Wi-Fi and whatnot. That's a client side attack or you're about to do a client side attack. And uh, if you're not connected to their stuff, then it's a remote attack. So that's a basic way to explain it. Uh, remote attacks and client-side attacks are common in penetration testing for um, eth ethical hacking. Uh, 
so that's that's one thing to keep in mind there there's different techniques uh because if you're doing client side attacks there's different techniques because if you're doing ethical hacking then chances are you already have some access but if you don't have the access you, you there's there's ways to break that it's easier to do a client side attack now there's a blind side attack again this is the dangerous one this is the last resort and basically what you do is throw everything on your computer at a given thing a given server network or whatnot and um, what happens is there it causes a lot of noise which means there's a lot of data going through and the log will definitely show something and your chances of getting caught is dramatically it is basically a near 100% um, given that you, you you didn't go through something like Tor or something like that. Now, with this in mind, you can if, if you do this, you can cause problems with your computer, your network, your ISP. Um, given it's remote, if you're, if you're doing client side, then it's not your network or ISP. But you can also cause problems in in a higher chance of causing problems with their network and their stuff and um this being physical and virtual damage very 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 important to note that because again it's a last resort and i wouldn't even advise it for that so next there is social engineering this what this is what edward snowden uses or used for the nsa as far as getting the nsa passwords to get all the stuff before he leaked it and um Social engineering is pretty much as it sounds. Uh, social engineering is, a, is about a, a class on its own and most likely I'll make a video on it. Now, there's uh, dosing, fuzzing uh, attacks. This is what Anonymous does. And uh, you're not really going to see this too much or if at all at getting your, um, your information off of a server or whatnot for penetration testing or whatnot. But Dawson, what Anonymous tends to use this as is, uh, say for example, if they don't agree with a, a uh, whatever, a, a group of some type, a company or whatnot, they would Dawson and what this basically does is it takes down our site and, and possible network and, uh, or has a high chance of doing it and um, it basically it'll make it where they can't use it. Um, there's uh, one hacker, I, I think his name is Joker, his handler name, and it's a military hacker. He, uh, he, he, he's done this to um, some Al-Qaeda chat rooms and some other stuff before, um, before they got, you know, taken down. But, um, you know, there's that going on, but Anonymous does this and some others do this. It's not a real good hacking technique to get information off. It uh, pretty much all servers and whatnot nowadays can actually counter this and stay okay. Basically, what happens is with a Dawson attack, if you do it right, you can actually reset a server. And the pro process of resetting it, if you get to it at enough time, you can actually go through all the firewalls and whatnot. Um, but for most part, this is kind of been fixed in most servers so it's not really it's pretty much going out the door as far as a hacking as far as getting information 
but as far as taking down websites and whatnot, that's pretty much staying. Um, now, one thing I want to mention is what uh, what Anonymous uses. They use something called a low orbit cannon. I, think, I believe that's the name of the um, application. It's a horrible application as far as you're going to get caught with it. There are several other uh, applications, uh, uh, slow, slow trickle applications and whatnot. And I'm going to dosing into another video. But uh, for the most part, if you know what you're doing, you can stay hidden. But um, you're not going to be able to take down all services. I, I've heard of quite a few websites and, and companies keeping up their stuff and um, having the ability to keep up their stuff. Even with the Joker in Anonymous. Now, with this in mind, it just takes a cell phone to take down an entire network, an entire network of of Windows computers and an entire website and whatnot. Now, there is the man in the middle attack, or MITM, and this is what the NSA uses, or FBI uses. Now, uh, and also some other countries, their stuff. And um, as far as this, this is eavesdropping. And I think that's what happened to Target, by the way. So, as far as the techniques, uh, the techniques is a slightly different. Um, once you've got your attack done, or starting attack, or trying to attack, what you have is vulnerability scanner. So this would be client side. Um, vulnerability scanners, I highly advise you to do it on your own systems, your home, home network. Uh, when you get a scanner, what you need to do is go look for openware and you need to look at a code. Make sure the code is worthwhile. Um, what happens if you don't? Well, you'd run the risk of Joe Blow getting all your information. I'm picking on Joe Blow, but it's a made up person, so I can do it. Now, that's that's important thing with all these things with fire uh, vulnerability scanners and whatnot you and package sn sniffers and and whatnot you want to make sure that you see the code so if you're going to use it it's not only the person who you're messing with will be okay given that you're ethical hacker or not um yourself will be okay so that's that's a big thing so vulnerability scanners, password cracking, and that's, you know, just breaking a password either by brute force or other means. Um, there's package sniffers, uh, there's spoofing attacks, uh, or known as phishing. There is, and what phishing is, is basically, hey, I'm your bank, uh, give me your password and your username and everything else, and blah, blah, and... Sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. Now, the more official and the, the, the if you can piggyback an actual email and kick off the original email and replace it to your own and reroute the email to go somewhere else, which I've seen quite a few times, you can actually go and um, use the, almost the exact identical thing on a, a whatever email. Have the person go to whatever site that you want them to go to or send whatever information that you want them to go to and they'll go to your stuff. Um, this tends to happen on, only for super black hackers as far as something like that because it's actually incredibly hard. Uh, 
depend on what service you're trying to mess with, but for the most part, the phishing, basically you just need to look for typos, grammar problems, pictures not right, you know, things like that. Now, there is a rootkit. Uh, I'll get into that in a bit. Social engineering, Trojan horses, uh, computer viruses, computer worms, keyloggers, and the actual on-field stuff, which be the man in the middle. Now, the uh, keyloggers is probably one of the most used uh, next to social engineering. Keylogger, I mean, and this is black cats we're talking about, not not white or gray. Keyloggers, what can happen is once you break into a system, you can upload a keylogger of some type, uh, which takes uh, pictures and and um, you know text and text and and whatever, and sends it to wherever you want to a server to to a person or whatever. And what happens is, say for example, I'm just going to pick on NSA, because they're easy to pick on right now. Uh, say for example, NSA doesn't like, I don't know, IBM. And so what they'll do is break into IBM stuff. They'll put a keylogger on there. And every time someone logs in or does something on IBM, every so often it will automatically take a screenshot of each computer on the network. Uh, then, to top it off, uh, each computer that actually downloaded the keylogger, which is actually incredibly easy once you get onto the network, then what will happen is any text that's done, it will actually collect all that and it will send it out to a server, an email, or something. For something that size, it's probably going to be sent to the server because it's stupid large for email. And, um, and that would be too noticeable. Then, uh, as far as that goes, it basically what happen is you'll have a trickle effect going out. So what will happen is the keylogger will send information out constantly, but it'll send it out as things are happening. So since it's only sending out pictures, uh, it could be low resolution. You can mess with that and send out pictures every so often and then it's only sent out text so it's not sent out that large so it's going to piggyback on the original stuff going out so it's going to have a trickle effect and most likely IBM wouldn't know the difference if NSA did it right or whatever did it right uh, computer fires could do the same thing but computer virus uh, they tend to do different things. Um, computer worms, computer viruses, the thing with them is uh, computer viruses could be, uh, a key large could be considered as a uh, computer virus if it replicates on other machines. So that's a big thing there. And um, the computer virus, depending on how it's set up, it can, it can, hose the entire machine it it can do a bunch of things um it's basically a software that adapts um and, and it's not like self-aware type of deal but it can self-replicate uh, so basically i get a network infected i hook up my computer to that network now my computer's infected 
This is what happens to home networks a lot of time. So if you've got a bad computer on your network, if your computer, your like say for example, person A hooks up their computer to your network, your home network, that is your Wi-Fi and whatnot, and your computer's on that same network. If your computer's not protected, there's something like AFAS or something, then your computer can download something that their computer sends out. And um, depending on how you have things set up, you can actually block that with even a solid virus. Uh, but for the most part, you, you can get a virus within a couple seconds. This is uh, one problem with, um, I think it's DSL. Since everybody shares the, the actual stuff, if one person has a virus on the loop, everybody in the neighborhood has a virus, or they could get the virus, depending on the thing. And um, yeah, someone can send knock on someone's door and say, hey, you got a virus, get it off. But for the most part, you're not gonna figure that one out. Viruses now and they are pretty good. And I even, even if you got a good virus scanner system, it, it's really up to the company to be able to know the virus is there because I mean if someone made a virus today you know that company whatever virus scanner that you're using is not going to have ability to see that virus so yeah now you have um, computer worms the only difference between a computer worm and a virus is the worm it, it doesn't have to attach itself to an existing program um, that, that's pretty much it um, most people just call them computer viruses anyways, um, but but the true term is that. Then uh, as far as Trojan horses, it's just basically making a backdoor. This is what, and in fact, this is what the NSA uses. Um, I, I think the FBI uses this once in a while. Some governments use this once in a while. But for the most part, this this is something that you gotta watch out for. So basically, an example of a chosen horse is, say for example, I'm trying to ha hack into uh, company A, and I, you know, don't have enough time, either I, I know I'm going to get caught if I keep on, or whatever, I can actually go send a Trojan horse, and then wait until everybody's gone, or whatever, and then try it again, and have the Trojan horse be my back door. And as long as they don't detect the Trojan horse, then, you know, it, it should be there. And depending on the Trojan horse, they probably won't even know it's existing. So if you made a Trojan horse, then chances are is their system won't even know as or tell from it. I mean, unless they do a scan on what was added. And I mean, there's a couple of ways to find it, but it's, it's going to be nearly impossible. And most IT people, they don't look at their logs. So that's, you can get around it by doing that. I'm not saying that it's a good idea because some IT people do look at their logs, but for the most part, most IT people, home homes don't really need to as much, but most computer companies, don't, they don't look at their logs, um, their data going in and out, and they don't spend the time to make sure their stuff's secure. In other words, I mean, if they, you don't look at logs, you don't know who put what on and what type of traffic went in and out. Now you have something quite interesting and this needs to be done on the client side and almost on the actual machine itself. So this one's a little harder and it takes some time uh, depending on the type of machine. It's a rootkit. What a rootkit basically does 
is it uh, it basically sometimes looks like a program but for the most part it's easier to put on a system if you're physically there and physically touching the system uh, rootkit usually obscures itself in its installation so what you could do if you were tricky enough you can actually have it where say for example if it's small enough you can have it where you send a picture out to someone and within that picture there's embedded a, a rootkit so when a person downloads the picture and does whatever or say when they they uh, download a program a, a uh, program of some type and install it the rootkit will automatically install in the background and uh, it, what the rootkit will do is actually attempt to prevent itself from being removed in the future and it will put it in subfolders and um, it, it's a pain to get rid of um, the biggest one the biggest rootkit I've seen the biggest pain in all ends is conduit uh, if, if you see conduit on your computer yeah, that's, that's a complete pain you can I, uh, lately I've been seeing it easier and easier to get off for some weird reason but for some reason it used to be extremely hard to nearly impossible because it put itself all the way into system 32 and and it was a pain um, if you didn't know what exact file you got or if you if you miss a file the thing will just install itself again later on it, I mean I hate those things but rootkits can also be used for Android devices whatnot. I'm not going to get to that right now. Now, uh, as far as uh, phishing, as I said, it's basically, um, hey, I'm your bank, uh, give me your information type of deal or whatever. Um, it's just basically trying to, find, trying to get information. That's uh, one way or another. A package sniffer is basically as it sounds is a data package capture it um captures packages uh basically but when you send out information to and from even if it's inside your own own network it, it, it's called packages or data packages and um or, or some people call them data but basically what happens is the um packages when they come across if you got a package sniffer playing the middleman then what happens is you can actually capture the data packages if the packages are not secure which most likely they're not given that you're not using a vpn given that this and that you uh and, and given that it's online if you're using a vpn you can decrypt these packages or just look into them most likely you can just look into them and see what a person has so if you got a package sniffer and go to starbucks or something like that then you can actually see joe blow's password their username and so on because most likely it's not secure most likely there's no vpn most likely you can look at any picture anything under the sun and go at it i i might do the a special video on this um I don't know how I'm going to do it because I don't want to, you know, have legal problems, but 
I, I might do a special video on this. So yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to go to Starbucks and do it, but because of the legal problems, but it'd be quite interesting if I can do an actual special video on that, show you what a uh, package coming across looks like. Then there's a password cracker, cracker. Password crackers or cracking or whatever. Um, they're basically used with package sniffers. Package sniffers, again, capture the data. The data has encryption on it. Most likely, at worst, it's a weak encryption. Most likely, the person doesn't even know what 256AES. And if you know me or you've been around my videos and whatnot, you know what 256AES is. So you're secure, you're good, and, and whatnot. But most likely, whomever doesn't know it. Either their phone's connected to to whatever, or they, you know, they just have some unsecured device. And basically what this means is as a package is come to and from the device, say pictures, passwords, websites, whatnot, if the if the information is on the device itself, the person doesn't really have to necessarily worry about it. But if information is going from the device to the internet, to the device or to the internet and back, they got to worry about it. And um, this is pretty important because the package sniffer can actually collect the stuff. You can use a password cracker to break into the a, the um, the encryption and. Um, depend on the the data going across if um, the a password cracker can actually hijack the uh, depend on what software you're using can actually hijack the transmission to and from and what can happen is it can log someone off and force them to send the data through again and it will collect the password it'll it'll basically make them keep doing it and um, collect the data a bit at a time at worst but for the most part if the person doesn't have it secure then you probably you know you're probably getting their stuff away in airports starbucks and whatnot very important to have a vpn on your computer if you're going to something like that and also phone and tablet um very important then there's a vulnerability, and also it's important to have it at its highest settings if you're going in an environment like that. A vulnerability scanner is, as I said earlier, it's uh, just a tool to to see what ports are unsecure on your network, uh, your home or business network. What it does, it, it, most vulnerability scanners scans your most common ports on your network. And what ports are is basically what you have is, um, say for example with my IP camera, I have, I can go to 192.168.2.23 and if I go through that and nothing else, then nothing's going to happen. But if I go through port 81, it connects me to my IP camera and I can see through my security camera. So. It, that's pretty much an example. There's ports again to your computer. You got to open them up previously, depending on your computer. Um, so there's not too much worry there. But for the most part, it's a good idea to have some type of something, something that actually looks at the ports and um, and tries to figure out if there's any any um, unsecured ports and whatnot. Now, 
with that in mind, if you've got something like a DirecTV box or whatnot, um, you don't necessarily have to worry about that, except for the fact that you can actually store viruses on DVRs. Um, that's, that's actually quite important because you can actually store uh, viruses on DVRs on, say, DirecTV boxes, uh, TVOs, and whatnot, security systems and whatnot. And if you got the unsecured port, then what can happen is someone can store a virus on there, preferably a Trojan, and they can gain access to your system later on. Chances of this is actually quite low if you're doing for your own house and if you're not, you know, famous or whatnot. If you're just some average Joe Blow, but for the most part, it's still a good thing to keep in mind and, and keep an eye out for. So, anyways, um, it's been Craig Bent, founder on our Tech Views and Up, and I, I'm pretty sure I left some things out, and but I tried to cover most of the main ones that that hackers use today but um if you felt like I met, missed out on something as far as I left out a p important technique or a attacking technique then please leave that below in the comment section I might even cover that in a later video if you got any questions then please feel free to leave them in the comment section and I'll try to answer it as quickly as possible there's obviously some things I won't cover in hacking because of the simple fact of I don't want to target on back, but I'll try to be out as best as I can. Again, if uh, you do use this information for any purposes then educational, then it's all in your head. Even then, it's on your head if you use it at all. But um, again, um, this has been Craig Bennett. Found the order to use it up if you found this helpful please like please subscribe and please share and hope you have a great day